Well, good morning. We're so happy you tuned in this morning. This is 89.1 FM radio coming to you from Lorain, Ohio on this somewhat cold and chilly autumn day. But we do thank you for uh, turning your dial to us this morning. As always, there are uh, quite a bit. We uh, are out of the station, but we're still taping. And, and yeah. Actually, we have good clarity is what I've been told. Yes, we do. Yeah. So that's good. And today we have a very special guest. I'm in my... Uh, office right now taping with my good friend and assistant David Abood. Hey John, great to be here. Good to be here. Yeah. And I have a, a friend, a good friend, who has the most incredible testimony in ministry. Um, you know, in this time, David, of COVID and all these changes and, and, you know, suffering and how do you get through it? You know, how do you get through a difficult situation? How do you, how can you lean on the Lord when he seems like he's not there? Yeah. Especially when there's physical pain involved and mm -hmm. prolonged physical pain or tragedy or something that happens that just wasn't supposed to happen, mm -hmm. so to speak. And for Dan and his brother Mark, what they went through, the whole family, and he's going to share that testimony, was was remarkable. It yes. was tragic. It was sad. It was it was it made news around all Northeast Ohio. But I want you to hear his story, and then how do you get through difficulties? If you can hear what he has to say, and then apply it to each of our lives today, the difficulties we go through, I think we can learn a valuable lesson. I agree, John. So, Dan, thanks for coming. My pleasure. Good to have you taking. I know you got a busy schedule, busy ministry. So, Dan, why don't you start from the beginning and tell us about your life growing up and then come to the point of the tragedy and how that, of course, affected all of your family. But move through that with us. And I want to then find out what you're doing today and how God actually could redeem that and how you're reaching people now that are in a very hurting place. Sure. Um, you know, John, it's a local story. I grew up not far from here in Fairview Park, Ohio. And... And when I was uh, just right after my 14th birthday, um, our Fairview Park home caught on fire. And, and prior to that, it's, it's, it's five boys, Irish Catholic family, very happy and very blessed. And, and August 3rd in 1976, we all woke up to an inferno in our house and, yeah. and, a, and a panic. And... Um, we were literally trying to rescue each other and and get out of the house ourselves. Ultimately, however, my mother and my youngest brother did not escape the fire and were killed. And my oldest brother was almost killed. He was burned over 70% of his body. And um, Metro burn unit had just been finished, thank God, or he surely would have died. Um, so... Our, our family was absolutely upside down. The idyllic world that I lived in prior to that was gone. One day. In, in one moment. And the, next, the next morning, I'm standing in my underwear in our neighbor's home. My father <clears throat> was in San Francisco at the time, or he very likely would have died. The fire started below the master bedroom, mm -hmm. so the smoke went there first. So my mother was probably dead from smoke inhalation before we knew the house was on fire. And um, and I just was I was just in shock and dumbfounded. What do I do now? And we went to church, and I believed in God, and I prayed to God. But I also I also didn't really understand much about it. I went because I my father sort of made me go. Now I probably could have resisted it, but it wasn't my idea to go. 
I found it kind of boring, frankly. Um, I believed in hell and I was afraid of it, so that was a motivator for me to go. But that was the extent of my understanding, what I could pick up in, in catechism classes and stuff, which wasn't very much, frankly. And so I was angry, like, how could this possibly happen? This isn't supposed to happen. I don't get it at all. And what I didn't realize was I stayed in that state of mind, this numbness and this shock for years. Yeah. And and it wasn't until I really, it wasn't until quite some time later that, that I realized how broken I was and how damaged I was. I started right after the fire. You know, we're surrounded by so many people that come to see us and wish us well and help us. And um, a lot of those adults drank and a lot of them said, hey, you can have a beer, Danny, which I did. And and I figured out pretty quickly that a little bit of a buzz took a, took a lot of stress away. And what I didn't know then was I, w- I was learning how to self-medicate. Mm-hmm. And so for the next couple of years, I, I took that to its limit. I discovered marijuana and minor drugs. I wasn't really, it wasn't, it wasn't that community. There yeah, weren't right. a lot of people running around with heavy drugs, but... Um, but we smoked a lot of pot and we drank a lot of beer and and I laughed when I was drunk and I was very sad when I wasn't. When I was when I was living in my world as in a, as a sober person and the chaos that I was surrounded with, you know, we're we're moving from an apartment to a house. My father's dealing with the loss of his wife. We're all dealing with the loss of our mother and our brother. My oldest brother is many months in the hospital, many, many, many surgeries. It was just a mess. And and that's the way it went for a good couple of years. And and I still prayed, but nothing changed. And, and, and I just felt, I just, I had this, I was convinced that this is, this was my life. I was going to be an unhappy, sad person mm-hmm. until I died. This would never change. I would never get out of this. And one day, I was across the street from the very home that burned to the ground, which we were rebuilding and had rebuilt by then, and playing Frisbee and drinking beer on a summer afternoon mm-hmm. with a bunch of people. And I noticed this guy way off in the distance sitting on a blanket with his with his children, and I thought, we're, this isn't going to end well. We're probably disturbing him. Mm. And um, sure enough he got up and started walking over and I thought he's going to come tell us he, he called the police and we better get out of there and because um, that wouldn't have been the first time that we were in a situation like that that was a common occurrence and he said hey guys you mind if I talk to you for a little bit mm-hmm. have any of you read this book and he had a bible in his hand and I listened to him a few of us listened nobody was disrespectful but lots of people didn't care what he had to say but I zoomed in on it, and he told his testimony about how he had lost his business and was bankrupt. And um, the, the takeaway that I had from his story, which he probably talked to us for an hour, and what I heard was he said, if you ask God to help you, he will help you. God wants to fix you. And I knew I was broken mm-hmm. and and that resonated with me and and I, I 
I, you know, he said, when you go home tonight and you're just staring at the ceiling and nobody's around, just say, hey, God, would you please help me? I need your help. Even if you don't really totally believe in God, say it anyway. Say, prove to me that what this guy says in the park is true. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I remember going home that afternoon with a little bit of a spring in my step. I mean, I was saying that prayer as I was walking. And I said it that night in bed. And... I felt a little bit of relief. I, I, what I felt was a little bit of hope. I, I really thought this might work. Mm -hmm. I believed him when he was telling me the story. And I believed it when I was saying that prayer. And oh my gosh, over the next less than one year, I, if you would have seen a before and after picture of me. How old were you then, Dave? I was, um, it was the summer. I was probably 16. 16. The, reason, the reason I can't pinpoint it exactly is my, I have a summer birthday, but oh, yeah. um, I probably just turned 16. Um, so it was just about exactly two years later. And um, I just, I started going back to my friends that I had before the fire. I started to see things differently. I had hair past my shoulders and I all of a sudden had short hair and I was oh. dressed a little bit differently and I didn't look like the pothead that I looked like before that. Uh -huh. And I was interested in different things, and my grades went from from failing to almost all A's. Yeah. And I, I had a future. I mean, and teachers were saying, what the heck happened? And police were saying, what the heck happened? The mayor of Fairview Park said, <laughs> what happened? I heard you got struck by lightning. <laughs> um, and, and it changed. And all of a sudden, I said, yeah, I do want to go to college. And, and I was happy again. And... and and I, I recognized where that came from. I, I, it was so dramatic and so fast. I said, wow, it worked. God did it. It was like, he was right. So at that time, <laughs> did you feel you received Jesus as your Savior? In hindsight, absolutely. Okay. At the time, I didn't know that, I though. At the time, like, I, did, I didn't understand born again, and yeah. I didn't understand. I, as dramatic as that was, I still didn't understand a thing. Yes. What I got out of it was, uh, I had confirmation what I suspected, which was God was real. I used to pray before that, but I didn't, I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't sure. I was more afraid of hell than believer in God. And, and now, oh my gosh, he does want to help me. But that was as much as I understood. So I prayed intermittently, but if I was in trouble, I really prayed hard. And then when I was in college, every time I had a hiccup, I prayed. And that's the way it went for another good 10, 12 mm -hmm. years, mm -hmm. I just thought, I, go, I mean, keep them in your life and pray to them and um, really step it up when, you're, when you need them. So, and, my, and, I, and I had a long list of stuff that I wanted him to help me with, and that was, that was the relationship that we had. So, it was, so I had an agenda, and I went to God and said, would you fill this for me, please? For God, I'll have it. It's taking, it's taking a while. What are you doing? Um, and, then, and then after I got married and... Some friends had some influence on me, and I, I wanted to study the Bible. Mm -hmm. I set out to, to do that very thing. And, and that was when I discovered Bay Presbyterian Church, okay. which, which I wouldn't go to because I was Catholic. And I thought, oh, those guys are all going to hell. We're not, I don't even think I'm allowed in there. Sure. And so I resisted it for a long time. But when I finally caved and went, I had another spiritual awakening, frankly. Because I started to get into Bible studies, that's when I met you, John. Mm -hmm. So this was about 95 or so, 
1995. And um, then things really started to change. Then, then I started to get hints of God already knows you inside and out. He wants you to know him. Mm -hmm. And how, do you, how can you know him? It, that stuff was just starting to make a little bit of sense to me. And so then I realized he isn't a genie in the bottle that I'm supposed to go to every time I'm in trouble. Sure. I'm supposed to learn his will, understand his will, live for him, live with him, get to know him. And all that stuff started to make a little bit of sense. And I got very interested in the Bible, so I was <clears throat> studying it like crazy. And it kind of, it, it took, it, I took a great step forward, but um, I kind of got distracted with new children and raising children and everything that goes with life. So I by no means had any um, great answers and certainly didn't have answers to everything. So it, that, that went along for a while. And then, um, you know, there were a lot of things going on in life. I, I, lost, a, I lost two more brothers. Um, my next youngest brother took his life mm. when he was 21, and at this time I was 25. And he never really recovered from that fire. He never recovered mm -hmm. from the loss of his mom or his little brother. He was, he was always sad. But he would pray with me, and I would go through the same thing with him, and he would have these great moments of stability, mm -hmm. and then he, would, then he would fall back a little bit. And, and he finally mm -hmm. took his life when he was 21 years old. Um, but I have three wonderful children. I got married, and um, a lot of great things were happening. But um, it really wasn't until much later in life, I'm sorry to say, which is... Um, which is, which is kind of embarrassing because sometimes I look back and I go, I wasted a lot of time where I wish I would have discovered what I know now mm -hmm. in my mid-50s. I wish I would have appreciated that way back, back at, the time, the at, at the time of that fire. Dave, do you have a question? Uh, well, you know, just what you said resonated with me. You know, I kind of feel the same way. You know, it was about eight, nine years ago, uh, where John and I really started to get into the Bible, and I read it for the first time front to back, and I asked myself that question a lot, you know, uh, why, why did it take me so long? Mm -hmm. I was Roman Catholic like you, I was raised, you know, baptized, uh, and uh, I felt the exact same way you did, because the priest would scare us, uh, you know, with the hell concept and fire and brimstone. You know, that's the way mm -hmm. I remember growing up, and I was a server boy, so I had a lot of time with them. But, you know, I, I don't, uh, at the end of the day, when I discussed this with John, he just told me that, you know, God wanted you to have those experiences, and everything is designed the right way. And so, you know, when I came to the Lord, when I did is when I did. Mm -hmm, and uh, and I, I think the good news is, is, uh, uh, because maybe we came to it a little bit later than people maybe that had it when they were much younger, um, I think we have an urgency to, to get it out, mm -hmm. to, to get out what we've learned, to get out what the book says, and to get out the comfort the book gives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we'll come to that yeah. now, Dan, as we, we might cycle back on yeah. this testimony part, but then today, and what you've been involved with for the last couple of years, really, this whole thing of reaching out to prisoners yes, and how yeah. you went in that direction. And your brother, I just want to put this in there, 
she went through this incredible burn experience, mm-hmm. like you say, months mm-hmm. and months. You, I know him, and you can still see the grafting yeah, and everything right. with it. But that pain took him in to be a doctor, mm-hmm. and then that pain took him in to be a plastic surgeon, specifically to help people. Mm-hmm. That had Fantastic a testimony how yeah. God used that tragedy right. for these two brothers yeah. to now comfort others with the same comfort they have. It's amazing. I mean, only God can do that. Only God yeah. can be redemptive yeah. to bring something good out of something bad. And, and and I think, Dan, you know, if you could tell us kind of how your career path went, you know, after you got married mm-hmm. and whatnot, and how you got to sure. take the step mm-hmm. off to do this sure. from the for-profit world. So. Sure. Yeah. And um, my, you know, I went to... I went to Ohio University to study business and I got a master's degree and I always had an ability to sell. I, I had sales jobs when I was a teenager mm. and and I was I was always building a career around consultative selling in the business world of some kind. I was mm-hmm. a stockbroker. Um, I was in medical devices and then ultimately in commercial insurance focused on medical devices and so it was always a always the business world and it was and I was, you know, make make more money, work harder, make a softer, easier life for my family and ourselves. And um, and although there, there's certainly nothing wrong with money, again, there I was forgetting to put God first and then let all the p- other pieces mm-hmm. fall into place. I was, I was um, intermittently doing it, which gives you intermittent results at best. It sure. might not give you any results at all. But um, but I was I spent the last 15 years in commercial insurance um, and, and then I started to volunteer in prison ministry. I knew I wanted to get more involved. I was listening to a radio show one evening and a prisoner was wrapping up a bar of soap in toilet paper to give to his daughter when she visits mm-hmm. because that's all he could come up, could oh, come up with wow. in his prison cell. And to him, it was valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really, really spoke to me. And, uh, and the show was hosted by an organization called Angel Tree that, that um, looks for people who are willing to buy presents for these kids whose parents are incarcerated. So I volunteered to do that, and I would get to meet some of these kids and take them presents I'm from their father, who was in prison. So yes. that has a profound effect on these children because they know that their father is thinking of them even though he was physically uh, separated from them at the time. And the kids are enormous victims of the incarcerated parents. Everybody knows that you've got a mom or a dad or both in prison. Many of them have children who are in a different kind of a prison through no fault of their own. So that's what initially got me involved in prison ministry. So I did that and I could do it with my family and my kids could get involved and they could learn from that. And and eventually that led to volunteering for various ministries, um, working with men inside mm-hmm. the prison walls. and. The more I did that, the less interested I was in my secular career, and mm-hmm. the more I wanted to do that. And it, and f- for quite a while, I was aware of that, 
and and it, it was funny. I one day I'm, I said, "This job of mine is interfering with this prison ministry of mine." <laughs> Whereas, um, <laughs> perhaps even when I started, I was like, I, "How much time do I have to do this ministry? I'm working," you know. And 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 it just flipped one time, and 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 it and it and it didn't induce panic. Whereas in previous years. I wanted to be in a ministry, sure. but it, the thought of it induced panic. It was, I can't. What about this stuff? What yeah, about this? Right, you right. know, what, and um, it didn't this time. And I started to bounce that idea off some people, and one, um, my girlfriend, said one of the most striking things. Because someone was asking me to consider a position, and I said, "But I can't do that." And she just said, "Why can't mm, you do that?" Right. She said, "You've been talking about this for two years. You're practically a full-time prison employee. You do, you, you do as much prison time as the prisoners. You're in there so often. Sure. Why can't you do it?" And I said, "You're right." Is that with Prison Fellowship? That was with Prison Fellowship and uh, Bill Glass Behind the Walls and another organization called Kairos. So Prison Fellowship, Chuck Colson. Yep. And then, of course, Bill Glass, Bill. former defensive end for the Cleveland Browns. Right, yep. yeah. And now you're with all three, or is it kind of? Um, with all three of those as a volunteer, but um, but after that, that uh, what I call a third spiritual awakening, where I said, you know what, I'm doing this full time. Sure. I went into my my boss and I said I'm leaving the insurance world and usually in that type of a job that means you are politely fired on the spot and mm -hmm. escorted out because there's intense competition mm -hmm. yeah, sure. most people when they leave that type of world they go to a competitor mm -hmm. and I said I'm not going I'm leaving the insurance business this is what I'm going to do I'm going to go into prison ministry full time what he you said. don't need to fire me why, why don't I hang around here for a month or two and transition my clients to somebody else he said that's a great idea and I think what you're doing is fantastic. And they didn't fire me on the spot. And um, How long ago was that? Um, two, two years ago. Two years ago this month. Well, last it was, wow. it was October of uh, 18 that I said that. So and I hung around to the middle. So what, so what I did was I left in search of a paid position. Okay. And where I ultimately landed, which actually f for almost a year... It was almost a year before I committed to a full-time staff position with a with a prison ministry, um, and it's interesting. It wasn't there were there were so many opportunities coming my way, and there were so many that I thought, oh, this I was built for this ministry that weren't necessarily prison ministries, but they're what I call rescue ministries. If you can, if you, like like in the prison world, if you can change that current prisoner mm -hmm. when he's a returning citizen and he's truly changed that will not trickle down to his children and you've stopped the madness the generation below him doesn't follow right. in dad's right. in dad's footsteps which is so important so i was really just focused on different rescue ministries like that but um but this one came along and then i said this is exactly what I want to do. And it's a company called The Ridge Project. And it, it's, it started in uh, 2000. We just had our 20-year anniversary. Who's the director of that? Ron Tiarina and Kathy Tiarina, husband and wife. 
does. Yes. Well, they yeah. they um they have a a great reach and in a very compelling story. They started this in 2000 because in 1991, Ron Tiarina was convicted of a crime that he didn't commit. That's right. And he was sentenced to to um, 15 to 25 years in prison. Mm -hmm. 14 to 14 to 25. He actually served 15 years. Mm -hmm. He was released be, because it finally came to light in, in a convincing enough way that he didn't commit this crime. And then something that you almost have never seen or heard of in the United States, the prosecutor appealed the judge's decision mm. to get him put back in and was successful, which is even more mind-blowing, before he was ultimately exonerated and left for good. But he did 15 years total. And while he was in there, he, he recognized the problem of this, um, this recidivism. That's these, what is the rate? It's currently? two out of three return to prison within three years. Three years two out of every three yeah. come back. But being on the inside that way, he didn't get resentful. I mean, he, he went through his challenges, but ultimately he focused on solving this problem. I can't think of a better story where somebody came in and said, well, I'm going to make lemonade out of these lemons. Mm -hmm. And he created what is now the Ridge Project, and he created something. It's a program that we, that we call Tyro. Yeah. And our, our, our approach is to grab these guys... Um, and and first, get them to rec understand that they need to change their perspective and change their thinking. If they go back to the same hood with the same people doing the same thing, they're going to go right back where they came from, which is prison. So you get them to understand they need to change, and if you can do that, now you can focus on how to get them to change. And you, you get down into some gut-wrenching, Areas that, that they've never been and they don't really want to go, but you got to get them to look at themselves to understand how they got there and to see themselves differently because they've got this felon label on their forehead and their mind that nobody wants. Mm -hmm. And they go out of those gates and they're a felon, and they many of them don't believe that they can succeed even if they want to. Right. So you get them to understand that. that um, this is what a real man looks like, and you show them. And this is what a leader looks like, meaning a leader of your family, a leader of yourself. Now, can you share the gospel through this process with them? We, we can in different ways. We do a lot of different things. Some things we do, um, for example, when they leave the prison, we stay with them. Mm -hmm. And all the little hurdles they face once they get on the other side of the gate, which are endless, and the, the average person might think, that's no big deal. But you think about this. Some of these guys walk out of the gate and they have nothing except the, the sweatpants and sweatshirt issued to them as they leave. Right. They, they don't have a bus pass, the driver's license, a birth certificate. Now, some do, but many don't. Yeah. So the smallest hurdles are, are overwhelming. What most don't have, however, is a living wage, a real mm -hmm. job, a career. So we stay with them after they walk through the gate and provide that for them, offer that to them. We, we get them trained in apprenticeships that are going to give them a real job that's going to support mm. their family. For example, commercial driving is very popular right now, really? a, a commercial driver's license. And what's, 
so fantastic about that is it's you can get it in about five weeks, hmm. and you can start at forty-five or fifty thousand dollars a year. The big rigs. Yep, the, mm-hmm. those big rigs, and it's it's a felon-friendly industry. Jeez. Yeah. So so you can take a guy who who is trying very hard to change his perspective and to really turn over a new leaf. Who now, for the first time ever, believes maybe this is maybe this can happen. It's the way <clears throat> it's it's the way I felt when I was. 16 in that park mm. after talking to that guy and I walked away going maybe this can really happen yeah, right, like for right. the very first time I thought mm-hmm. there, this might work sure. there, this might be because prior to that I really thought I was I knew how broken I was and I thought that's the way I was going to stay forever mm, interesting some connection yeah so wow. um, so all of a sudden you can have a guy who's who has a for the first time a real belief in himself and a real job that's going to support himself yes, and um, that that is just a, a, that's just life changing. Yeah, the the Tyro leadership. Um, how did you guys build that curriculum? Do you have outside speakers come in to help with that? Was Ron and Kathy trained Ron, as well, counselors or Ron and Kathy um, created that that oh, they program did that? Okay. over. Over a period of years, while Ron was still incarcerated. Okay. So, um, Ron huh. Ron got out of prison in two thousand and six, and this um, company, their Sparkle, was started in two thousand. So they were building this curriculum, and um, you know I'm talking about prisoners and guys, but it's important to note that that the Ridge Project as a whole is also focused on families and children, and. Um, and I said before, you know, for every prisoner, there's a victim. There's those kids at yeah, home, right. like like Angel Tree, where I started. Well, well, that was Kathy, and that was that was Ron and Kathy's three children, yeah, right. and she was on welfare, and she was stuck on it because she had the rug yanked out from her, um, just like Ron did. She figured out how to get herself off of that, and then she was teaching other women how to get off of that, while Ron was teaching other guys in prison that if you don't change your perspective, you're never going to leave here. And that culmination between the two of them is what brought together what ultimately became um, the Ridge Project and um, our programs called Tyro. We do. And and to to answer your question, when we put people in apprenticeships, Mm -hmm. we're using government grants to do that. Mm -hmm. So we're limited in, in, in... in, in how we teach a course, so we have to follow those rules. Okay. So that's okay. While we're doing that, we will obey those rules. But there are many things we can do that aren't tied to that grant, and we can absolutely teach the Bible in those scenarios. And if you go to our website, mm-hmm. the first line you'll see is we are a Christian nonprofit organization founded mm-hmm. on Jesus Christ Whoa. and the teachings and biblical principles, and, and we are first and foremost. That's terrific. So, and then your stats: ninety-seven uh, percent commit to fatherhood when they come out, yeah, yeah. and ninety percent hopefulness for the future versus the other. Yeah. So and, how, how many people? And you know come what our reci- you know what our recidivism rate is? If mm-hmm. you, if yeah. you go through our program, and you're you are what we call a tyro. A tyro is an apprentice. It's a uh-huh. it's somebody who's willing to learn something new, but it's also a warrior. And we don't mean a fighter, but we mean somebody that's willing to stand for their own convictions. Right. So if, when you become a tyro, 
your the recidivism rate is 19.1 percent, as opposed to 67 percent. Less than one fifth compared to everywhere wow. else in the United States. Wow. Yeah. You know the government has to look <clears throat> at this stuff sometimes. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, just in I, yeah. dollars and cents. I mean, it's. You know, they they really are. They really are, in in large part because of the kinds of studies that the Ridge Project has been able to put together. And the, the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction is very involved and a great partner of ours and very aware of what we're doing and very supportive of so it. So they give you access? They, they work with us as, as a partner in a lot of different ways, but yes, giving, a, giving access is definitely yeah. one of those. Yeah. But a lot of our grants are federal. Um, Ron and Kathy have won national awards and been to the White House a couple times. Okay. So people are listening to both of them. And I, they're, know, making, I, they're making a real difference. That's terrific. Yeah. I think in this day and age with the prison reform bill that was signed, yeah. got yes. a lot of people in there, you know, for nonviolent crimes and this and that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. could we do something to help them mm -hmm. to get back with their family, still recognize maybe they have to go on probation or something, but these kind of programs are perfect yes. in between right. uh, <laughs> just to take the stress off of the yeah. prison system in these men's lives. That are we, yeah. I, I, can show, I can point to guys who, who have been out of prison two, three, five, ten years, who prior to that had multiple prison numbers. That mm -hmm. means they, they went to prison, they got out. They went back, they get a new prison number, they get out. And in, and in, in prison, it's a very common thing. How many numbers you have? How many yeah. numbers you have? What number are you on? And I can point to guys who have had nine, ten, eleven numbers and went through Tyro Probably and smart. have not been back. Gotta get these have not been back. Yeah. yeah, you the do. Story yeah, yeah. Is that, that on your website? Is that is that the, published? This the statistics that um, that we just read here was. Mm -hmm. you, did you take that right off the yeah, website? Right off the yeah, website. yeah. So we have a lot of. Um, if you dig deep in our website, you'll see studies and the results of those studies, um, and a lot of other support yeah. about how why we do what we do, how we do it, and and what the results are. So. How big is the staff, would you say, in, in this area? Uh, it, about 60 in Ohio, but we, we're in other states and we're in other countries in this, in this Tyro program. So, wow. um, How many so prisons do you go to in, in Ohio? All of them. Oh. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty impressive. So, Dan, um, how has your life changed since you went from the commercial insurance to, to now this full-time ministry work that you do? I'm busier. <laughs> yeah, I figured that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting that um, prior to COVID, mm -hmm. we were in those prisons, you know, collecting these guys, teaching them, talking to them, mentoring them, working with them. And since April, we haven't been able to get in the prisons. We were able to do a little bit of it with video. Um, then that was taken away because they wouldn't let anybody get in a room yeah. to watch yeah. a video. So we've struggled with how how can we connect with these people. So we've been focusing on uh, just grabbing them when they walk out the gate. Literally. So, yeah, literally. And when many of those go to a halfway house. So we've been focused on those halfway okay. houses. Um, so... It's working. It just takes, um, it takes a different approach. So yeah, we've sure. so we've changed it in that way. But we're still getting the attention of just as many people, and 
Um, we're just catching them a little bit later in the process in some cases, but um, there are also st still so many people in prison that were aware of us that, that are getting out that that we worked with a year ago, and now they're getting out. So now we can okay. now we can pick can that you up again. Can with them in through a newsletter or something while they're still inside? Sometimes, and in some facilities. It depends okay. on the facility, and it depends on the type of communication. But we can still, we're still doing things like um, we're, we're, we're taking them care packages and things like that, you know, by the, by the hundreds. Into the prison? It, yeah. Could you we put just, a newsletter in there? Yes. Okay, I was just yeah. curious. Yeah. So um, we have something that was started not long ago called Tyro TV, okay. which um, is tested in 13 different prisons where they can get on there and they can see the types of things that they would be seeing live if we could get in there. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff that's in development that's changing. So um, a lot of prisoners have a tablet system, so um, that it's mm -hmm. very, very, very controlled. But, yeah, but we are one of the few, if not the only, prison ministry that has been able to put content on those tablets. Really? So, and how many prisons accept that? Well, the, the, the tablets are in almost every prison. I mean, the, the, without a doubt, they will be in all the prisons in the United States in the not, not too distant future. Well, it started as a um, all of the things they do on paper, anything from mm -hmm. I need to see a doctor or mm -hmm. um, this is my visitor's list or this is my phone list. Mm -hmm. Everything that used to be done on paper can be done on this system. Okay. They can't just give it the internet. They can't just turn it loose. So, but they have controlled ways that they can, um, they can accomplish a lot you of things. You guys have entry. We have entry in a in a test in thirteen prisons. That's going really well. That's, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And we're talking about reaching numbers. Yeah. yeah, and 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 so your mood now today, with this new life that you have centered on Christ versus before and we've talked about this before where you know i i too was focused on what i was doing and christ was you know the lord was somewhere mm -hmm. else mm -hmm. and right. that you know it was that family and then the lord now we're trying to be centered on christ what we're focused on for day-to-day -day, you know family in that order um and i think uh you know, in your case, uh, how do you feel? I mean, with the depression that you had and everything else since you've been on this walk uh, with Christ, I mean, how has it changed? How would somebody in a similar position that you were in, maybe not a fire, but still sure. a, a very um, chaotic life uh, at a young age, not thinking there's any way out, how, how, did, how did you pull yourself out? And how do you feel now, now that you're embracing the Lord and being centered on Him? Sure. The, um, the the hardest thing I think that that's, that slows that leap or that, that interferes with it is the person's ability and, and this is what I struggled with was to, to recognize that you don't have control over this anyway. You think you do, but you don't. So if you can get them to see how God is aware of absolutely everything that's going on, everything that you're doing. He was in control even when you, before you realized mm -hmm. that he was, before you recognized that he was. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I was 
diagnosed with cancer um, thir 13 months ago, and I was going under surgery 12 months ago, almost Boy. almost to the day of, of this of this interview. And I wasn't this. I wasn't. I just. I said, yeah, all right. Yeah. So that, that's what's that's what's going on. But it's because I I said, well, nothing's really changed. He knew I had it. Well, the only thing that's changed is I, now I know I have it. Yes. He was in control before. He's in control now. And when you really believe that at your core, yes, you you don't have anything to worry about. It's a different. And it's not it's not sticking yeah. your head in the sand, and it's not right. Um, it's not living in denial. No. It's it's recognizing that this is going to be fine. However, this goes, it's going to be absolutely fine. That's like and my brother. Yeah. So far, it's yeah. A, yeah. absolutely fine. Wonderful. He, he <laughs> yeah. was diagnosed with Agent Orange after living healthily fifty years after the military he got into Vietnam. But he said, you know, for me to live is Christ to die is gain. He was very peaceful with it. He would like to be healed, of course, but he was. He had a peace about it all. Mm -hmm. You know, you can only have that if you know Christ, because mm -hmm. He's the resurrection and the life. When I, I teach in the mission field, I always go, if you're going to believe in somebody, believe in somebody who's called the resurrection and the life. Yes, yeah. that's life's biggest yeah. issue. Yeah, you see. Well, Dan, this is a fantastic. You know, we had your brother on last year, right at yeah. this time, and now you, you know, he's got his ministry. You know, mm -hmm. reaching people. You got your ministry, and as like I said earlier, only God can bring something redemptive out of mm -hmm. something tragic. Yeah. And you think the most tragic thing that happened on this planet Earth was our Lord and Savior died on that cross, hung on that cross, mm -hmm. nailed to the cross six yeah. hours. But in a sense, it was the necessary thing for us, for salvation, the defeat of Satan, you know. And, yeah. you know so God bless you, you know, Dan, as you continue in the prison ministry. It's just, it's just well, amazing. And, I know and, you have some and questions. Dan, uh, well, why don't you give people oh, information yeah, Dan, for sure. if they want to donate a or would like to get in touch Absolutely. with you? Absolutely. Um, first, if, you, if you're a recently returning citizen, if you've had, uh, if, if, you're, if you're coming from prison, if you've had um, a controlled environment, either in a prison, a halfway house, in the last two years, I would love to help you if you need some help. If you're struggling in any area, if you're looking for stability, career, Call me. Let me let me see if I can help. That's great. Um, yeah, that is great. Yeah. Online, you can find us as the Ridge Project. You can call me personally at two one six six nine five zero zero two two. And um, if there's a way that we can help you, we absolutely will. And there's a great community. These these tyros of which thousands have graduated in the last twenty years. Um, that stay connected and and have each other's backs. I mean, these oh. are guys that that have learned character and they want to help. Through community, so wow, it is. That's it, there is. There's yeah. a fantastic community there, and if we can help you at all, we would we would love to. And if we can't, maybe we can direct you to somebody that that can. So give it one more time. It's called the Ridge Project, and and my number is two one six six nine five zero zero two two. You can. Um, you can find me through that. If I, the email might be a little bit much, but mm -hmm. if you write fast and pay attention, <laughs> my email is my first name Dan dot McDonough M C D O N O U G H at the Ridge Project dot com. Ridge Project will get them to yes, the website. Yes, and 
And if you just call the numbers on our website, they'll they'll get you to me if you're Excellent. if you're in this northeast Wonderful. Ohio area. That's a great so, uh, sure resource that I don't think hardly anybody knows about. No, I agree. The, the, one real fast plug, if I may. Sure. Um, we're looking for uh, in the greater Cleveland area some real estate. We need about two thousand square feet, fifteen hundred square feet, um, somewhere from the near west side to about East Sixtieth would okay. be would be ideal, and. Just think of a giant high school classroom or a small warehouse. We need it to do two things. We need to, we need to be able to put 15 guys in there and, and teach them in a classroom setting. But when we aren't doing that, we need to be able to pull a couple of cars in. So we need some bays that open and you can drive cars in because we have another organization that's going to teach a very compelling apprenticeship about detailing cars. But it goes beyond that. It's minor repairs. It's... The demand for it's fantastic in dealerships. They need guys to, you know, take out small dents, sure. repair yeah. small burns, detail cars, fix minor things. Um, it's a heck of a business. So we're going to teach anyone interested in learning that. That's great. So we need a space to do it, and we've been struggling to find it. I know they're there. Yeah. But um, but uh, maybe somebody's maybe somebody's listening. Yeah. There are there. Yeah. Um, well, but, but it's like. So maybe somebody listening is going to go, I got the perfect thing. Yeah, so. right, right. Well, thanks again, Dan. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Great Take having you. God bless you. My, God bless you. my pleasure. Thank you so yeah. much. And you've been listening to 89.1 FM radio. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you next week. God bless you all.